Welcome uh, to the series on exegesis on tshuva, which is based on the third chilek, the third part of the Tanya, written by Rabbi Shnei Zaman of Liadi. Before we get into the actual chapter of the Tanya, it's important to note that the previous Lubavitch Rebbe said that the third part of the Tanya, which is known as Igeres Atshuva, the, the letters of Tshuva, correspond with the third Shulchan Aruch, the third Code of Jewish Law. In other words, there are four parts to the Code of Jewish Law. The first part is Er Chaim, which deals with daily laws, like the Shema and the Amidah, and the laws of Shabbos, and Passover, etc., etc. And then there is the part called Yeridea, the second part of the Code of Jewish Law, that deals with the laws of kosher, kosher chickens, kosher meat, kosher fish, etc., etc. A mixture of meat and milk together, basa b'chalab. Then you have the third part of the Jewish Law, which is called Evin Ezer. Ebn Ezra. Ebn Ezra deals with children. How many children are you supposed to have? The laws of Ishus, of women. Who is allowed to marry whom? Kedushin, the actual laws of marriage. Ksubis, the writing of the Ketubah, Gitin, and the laws of divorce. In other words, the third book of the Torah is a feminine book. It's all about the laws of women. And this is the third Code of Jewish Law, the third book of the Code of Jewish Law, which corresponds to the third book of the Tanya, which means that they have a connection. Being that the Alter Rebbe was considered to be the master of Kabbalah and also the master of Halacha, therefore everything he did connected one with the other. So therefore, the third part of the Tanya is connected with the third book of the Code of Jewish Law. What is the connection between the two? And here the Rebbe goes on to explain the connection between the third book of the Tanya and the third book of the Code of Jewish Law. Pertaining to the Tanya, the laws of Tshuva, what is Tshuva? What does it mean to repent? So, the Alter Rebbe explains over here, besides that the word tshuva literally means to return, which is in contrast to the word repentance, means to change your ways. In Judaism, it's not about changing your ways, it's about coming home. Teshuva means to return, to come back to where I started from. Every Jew is connected with God, one with God, and therefore the natural tendency of the soul is to do all the mitzvahs in the Torah, the soul, however, goes through a journey, comes from heaven down through the four worlds and into the physical body, and it forgets sometimes what its mission is. So tshuva is to come in contact with yourself and to return to who you really are. But here the Alter Rebbe, in the, the letters of tshuva, talks about it based on Kabbalah and says tshuva is tashuv hey. The word tshuva means to return the letter hey. Tashuv hey. And there are two letters of He in God's name. There is Yud and He and Vav and He. The first He and then the second He. 
Hey in Judaism is a feminine letter. When you want a word to represent the feminine, you end it with a hey. So the hey generally represents femininity. So we see here that the entire concept of tshuva is the idea of the book of Ebenezer that deals with the laws of women. There are two hays in tshuva, or rather two hays in God's name, and therefore there are two levels of tshuva. There's the lower tshuva and the higher tshuva. And in these chapters, we're going to discuss the two different types of tshuva. The lower tshuva only atones for certain sins, but the higher tshuva atones for all the sins. And according to Kabbalah, the lower tshuva, which is the second hay of God's name, represents the level of malchus, kingship, which is a feminine quality. And the first hay in God's name represents the quality of bina, Understanding, which is also a feminine quality, as we know, bina yiteran didnali isha, a greater level of understanding was given to the woman. So here we see that according to Kabbalah, tshuva is feminine. This idea also is found in halacha, also found in the Talmud. How do we see the idea of marriage and, and divorce, etc., etc., connected to the idea of tshuva. There's a famous question which is raised in the yeshiva world. When you learn Talmud, you see that the order of the Talmudic sections and books is that first comes the tractate of Gitin, dealing with divorce, then comes the tractate of Kedushin that deals with marriage. <laughs> So there's a joke. They say that God gives the rufua, the healing, before the ailment. But on a, on a, on a deeper level, the, the idea is, is based on a verse in the Torah that says, v'hoisa. She went out, she left her first husband, and then v'hoisa, she became married to the second husband. So based on this verse that she left and then she became married, so the Talmud also works in this sequence that first, it talks about the tractate of divorce, then it talks about the tractate of marriage. However, the Rebbe points out that from divorce to marriage, in between, there mm -hmm. has to be a paradigm shift. You can't just leave one marriage and go into another marriage. There has to be tshuva. And that is repentance. You change your ways, now you get remarried. And the same is true in the, in the sequence of man. In the Torah, we find that Adam was sent out of paradise after the sin of the Garden of Eden, he was sent out by Yigodesh Ha'adam. So the simple interpretation means he was sent out. The deeper interpretation is that he was divorced. God divorced him from the Garden of Eden. When the Jews came to Matan Torah and they received the Torah, now was the marriage between God and the Jewish people. First was a divorce, then the marriage. But between Adam leaving paradise and the Jewish people marrying God, there were many years in between, and that was the time of tshuva. Especially when the Jews were in Egypt for 210 years, it was a time of transformation, becoming a new person, and now earning the title of becoming married to God, the wife of God. Furthermore, we find in the Talmud of Yuma a very interesting thing. Rabbi Yochanan says the following. Gudoy tshuva. 
Do you know how great tshuva is? It's so great that it has the ability to push away a negative commandment in the Torah. What is the negative commandment in the Torah? There's a law that says as follows. If a woman gets divorced, she's allowed to remarry her husband. She can do this a hundred times. The husband could divorce her, she could remarry him. Divorce her, remarry him. Over and over again. However, once the wife marries someone else in between, then the law is she's not allowed to return to her first husband. That's Allah Torah. So Loisa says, a negative commandment. She's not allowed to return to her first husband. Says Abiyachanan, look how great Tshuva is. When the Jewish people sinned throughout exile, we basically left God and we married another man. If a Jew served idols or violated Torah law, we basically married another person. We married another God. The law is if you marry another man, another God, you can't go back to the first God. You cannot go back to the first husband. Yet, God says, do tshuva, repent, and I'll take you back. So we see how great is tshuva, how great is repentance, that even if we married, so to speak, another God, another husband, another man, God says, you could return back to me. So, this is the idea of tshuva, and how it connects with the third book of the Code of Jewish Law, which is primarily a book dedicated to the laws for women. Again, tshuva being a feminine quality. There's another concept, and that is, in truth, even though in general we say there are four books to the Tanya, in reality there are five books to the Tanya. The Kutya Murim is the first. Then you have Shaykh Vamuna, the second. You get us a Chuva, the letters of Chuva, the third. You get us a Kurdish, the letters that are holy are the fourth. And the fifth is Kuntus Akhre. So Kuntus Akhre generally is subsumed within the, the fourth book. But really it's a book on its own. And just like you have five books of the Tanya, they correspond to the five books of the Torah. The Tanya is known as Torah Shibiksav of Chassidus. It's known as the written law of Chassidus. So therefore, we can say that the Geras of Tshuva, the letters of Tshuva, correspond to the book of Vayikra, the book of Leviticus. What does the book of Leviticus talk about? It talks about karbonates, it talks about sacrifices. What is the idea of a sacrifice? What is a korban? A sacrifice is to get closer to God. Adam Kiyakiv became Korban Lashem. If a person wants to get closer to God, he brings of himself a sacrifice. The word Karban means close. Today there are no sacrifices. So it says that prayer takes the place of sacrifices. And primarily fasting takes the place of sacrifices. But in general, the idea of a sacrifice is to get closer to God. The physical act of the, the slaughtering of the animal is only on an external level. It's really to awaken within us a deeper reality to connect our emotions and our thought and our speech and our action to God. So that is the idea of Karbanis. That is the idea of the book of Ayikra. It's connecting to God. It's the idea of Tshuva, returning and getting closer. Furthermore, the word Vayikra means and he called. In other words, God calls upon every Jew and he pleads with us. Shuva Yisra, return, Jewish people. 
to God, your Lord. Furthermore, people, when they hear about the idea of tshuva, they get scared. Oh my gosh, I did a terrible thing, and now I have to suffer, I have to do repentance, I have to fast, etc., etc. Says, us, says to us Rashi that the word Vayikra, when God called, what does that mean? Vayikra is Loshen Chiba. Whenever it says in the Torah Vayikra and he called, it's a terminology of love. In other words, God says, return to me out of love, not out of fear. And it's really because I love you and because I care about you and because I want you so badly to come back home, I'm pleading with you to return to me. And in truth, I never left you. I was always with you. If anything, you separated yourself from me. And now I plead with you out of love to come back home. So this is the idea of, of tshuva as the introduction to the uh, letters of tshuva. Now we're going to look inside chapter 1. And we're going to read a little bit in Hebrew, a little bit in English, and uh, try to give some insight to this idea. Chapter 1. Tanya, B'Seif, Yuma, we learnt in a Baraisa, at the end of the tractate of Yuma. Shleisha, Chalukei, Kaporehim, there are three types of atonement. Uchuvam Kolechot. And there are three types of repentance that accompanies this. What are the three types of atonement? So the Alter Rebbe goes on to quote from the Baraisa. Avraham, it says, I say, if a person neglects to do a positive commandment, Vishav, and returns to God. So if a person, for example, he forgot to put on film one day, or he forgot to say the Shema one day, or if a woman forgot to light the Shabbos candles, or she forgot to pray. And they neglected to do a positive commandment. What is the halacha? What is the way a person can do tshuva and repent? It says, the moment they do tshuva and they regret what they did, they are forgiven. If one neglects a positive commandment and repents, he is forgiven forthwith. That's the halacha. That's what the Gemara says. However, over al misas loisa said, but let's say you violated a negative commandment. What's the negative commandment? He ate non kosher. So what do we say? Vishav, and now he said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I regret what I did. Shuva toila, Even though right now, on a Wednesday night, I said, I'm sorry. I neglected or I violated a negative commandment of the Torah. God does not forgive me yet. I have to wait all the way to Yom Kippur until I'm forgiven. Now, what's the reason for this? Here the Rebbe goes on to explain, according to Kabbalah, the reason behind it. On one hand, he says, we see that a positive commandment is greater than a negative commandment. How do we see that? Because a positive commandment generally will push off a negative commandment. For example, 
The Torah says you're not allowed to wear shatnis. Does anybody here know what shatnis is? It's a combination of wool and linen. If you have a dress, a skirt, a jacket, a pair of pants, that's made out of wool and linen. Especially in the summer, it's very hot. So you put on linen pants. But how do they sew the hem in the linen pants? You put on a linen dress. How do they sew the seams on the linen dress? If they use wool, it's not kosher. You're not allowed to wear it. Every moment you wear that dress or every moment you wear that pair of pants, you violate a commandment in the Torah. It's a very easy commandment to fix because most cleaners in, in uh, most religious communities will also check for shatnas when they will do a hem and they will uh, clean your garment. You can ask them to please do a shatnas check. Okay, and then, and then there are there are different offices. If you go online around the New York and Manhattan, is Hashem very easy to find a place to check check for shatnas. And they they put a label inside and they say it's kosher. On the other hand, it's a very easy mitzvah to violate because if you're wearing shatnas every minute, you're wearing shatnas, you violate the mitzvah, and you sin, you violate this commandment. What's the But the reason is, we'll talk another time, God willing, at another class. And I spoke about it in the past online. You can go check it out on the commandment of a mixture of meat and milk. I talk about the idea of shatnas as well. But it's a whole different discussion. But it's basically considered to be a, a choik, to make it simple, it's a statute. Uh, on a deeper level, uh, just to give you a little tidbit, Maimonides in the guy for the Perplex says that there used to be a cult that they wore a mixture of wool and linen and they mixed a potion of meat and milk together and they poured it over the crops. By doing so, they felt they were able to overcome all the evil spirits and negative toxins in the world and therefore they'd be able to have beautiful crops. So this was a form of idolatry. But there are other reasons in Kabbalah for this as well. So this idea of a person wearing shatnis is a negative commandment. Yet we find... When it comes to tzitzis, right? You've got to put on tzitzis on your wool garment. According to the Torah, if I have a wool garment, or rather, let's do the reverse. According to the Torah, if I have a linen garment, it's nice in the summer, I want to wear a light garment, and I want to put on tzitzis on it, I could put wool onto the linen garment. Even though I'm not allowed to mix wool and linen together, a positive commandment knocks off a negative commandment. Another example would be, even though we don't really have the problem today, but in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, if a person was a leper in Mitzorah, we're talking Lashon Hara. According to Torah law, you're not allowed to cut off the signs of a leper. So if the Kohen said you have Tzara'as, right, you're a Kohen, any Kohen can do it. Say you're a Mitzorah, you have a sign of Tzara'as, then that person has to leave all three camps. So he says, look, I'm going to cut it off. Nobody's going to know. I'll come back in. Now, look, he's not allowed to cut off the signs of the tzeras. Let's say there's a baby born with tzeras. He has to be circumcised. And the tzeras is right there at the circumcision. Or there's a non-Jew who wants to be circumcised at the age of 99 years old. And he has tzeras at the place of the circumcision. Or you have someone who lived in Russia all their life and they never had the opportunity to have a, a bris. 
And now they want to have a bris. And right there, it's on the spot where you have to have the bris. On one hand, it says, you're not allowed to cut off the tzara'as. But for the sake of a bris, it's a positive commandment. The positive commandment pushes off the negative commandment. So from here we see, technically, that a positive commandment is greater than a negative commandment. If that is the case, the Al-Tarebbe asks the question, why when it comes to tshuva, why when it comes to repentance, is it more difficult to repent for a negative commandment over a positive commandment? For a negative commandment, wearing shatnas, I have to wait to Yom Kippur. It's not enough that I say, God, I'm sorry I wore a jacket that had wool linen together. I'll never do it again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. God says, fine. Come visit me on Yom Kippur. I'll give you my answer. Why do I have to wait to Yom Kippur? One, two, three, four months. I'm asking you right now. I'm never going to do it again. No, I'm sorry. you got to wait to Yom Kippur. But if I forgot to say Shema, I say, God, I'm sorry. No problem. I forgive you right away. What's the difference? On the contrary, it should be the reverse. It should be the reverse. The Shema is a positive commandment, and a positive commandment has the ability to push off a negative commandment. So the tshuva for neglecting a positive commandment should be more difficult than the tshuva for violating a negative commandment. And yet we say it's the opposite. So the Altarebbe answers the following. He says like this. Because there are two things that a person has to do when he does tshuva. One is to fix the damage that he caused. And number two is to ask God for forgiveness for rebelling against it. So A, I did not listen to you. I'm sorry. I rebelled against you. You're the king. Number two, I did not fulfill what you wanted me to do. Says the Alter Rebbe like this. When you do a negative commandment, evil cleaves to the soul. And because evil cleaves to the soul, it's like, for example, you're wearing a garment and a white shirt, and now you have delicious meatballs and, and spaghetti with tomato sauce and your entire garment gets full of tomato sauce, you have to wash it. you got to take off the dirt from the garment. By a negative commandment, it's like getting your garment dirty. This, to get off the actual dirt, you have to wait to Yom Kippur. The violation, I did not listen to your word, I could do right now. So this is true for a negative commandment. There's two parts. God, I'm sorry for violating your word, I forgive you. Number two, you got your shirt dirty, you got to wait to Yom Kippur. You'll throw it into the cleaners, on Yom Kippur, I'll clean your shirt. By a positive commandment, says the Alter Rebbe the following. Every time I do a positive commandment, I bring new light into the world. I bring new joy into the world. I bring new happiness into the world. If I did not do that positive commandment at that moment, the opportunity is lost forever. I cannot do tshuva for that. I cannot repent. It's over. You lost the opportunity. You missed the train. <laughs> so what is the tshuva? The tshuva is only for the first part. The tshuva is only for the fact, God, I did not listen to you. 
I violated your word. But the actual opportunity to bring that light and that energy in the world is lost forever. Now I'll tell you a secret. Later, the Alter Rebbe is going to say that the higher tshuva, I could also make up for the loss of that light. But on the lower tshuva, the lower hay, I cannot. And now we're talking about the lower base tshuva. When it comes to the lower base tshuva, if I neglected a positive commandment, I ask God for forgiveness, I'm forgiven right away. Why? Because I'm only forgiven for violating His words. I am not forgiven for the loss of opportunity. That is lost forever. Now he goes on to say there's a third type of sin. On the bottom of the page, page 343, the last paragraph. If one commits a sin of excision or execution, repentance and Yom Kippur are tentative and sufferings scour. There's a third type of sin. And that is the sin of excision. What is that? For example, violating by breaking the Shabbos. In the time of the Holy Temple, you'd be stoned to death. If you eat on Yom Kippur, simply because you want to, it's punishable by death of heaven. If you ate chametz on Pesach, for eight days you're not allowed to eat chametz, you ate chametz on Pesach. You walk by a hamburger stand, it looked very good, you like the, the, the buns, and you eat it on, on Pesach. It's death from heaven. It's excision. Similarly, if, if one's wife didn't go to mikvah and you have intimacy, these are sins that are violations that are punishable through kodis or misab deshamayim, which means death from heaven. This is a more severe sin. Says the Gemara in the tractate of Yuma, that when it comes to such a sin, how do you do tshuva? Says the Gemara, Tshuva v'yim kippur toilin v'yisurim There are three steps to Tshuva. One is, I'm sorry. Number one. Number two, you have to wait to Yom Kippur. But Yom Kippur is not enough. People think, I went to Yom Kippur, boom, everything's good. I'm finished. I did all my Tshuva. Tomorrow I can start sinning again. (laughs) No. He didn't finish yet. You still have to receive from heaven suffering. Now we're going to talk about this later, how we perhaps we could avert this. But this is again, what the Gemara says straightforward, what has to happen normally. Now we're going to learn over here the secrets of tshuva to try to find ways around it. Some shortcuts or long cuts, mm-hmm. but there are ways perhaps to get around this. But normally, this is what's supposed to happen. Number one, I'm sorry. Number two, I have to fast and keep it. Number three, it's not enough. The person is not atoned until he goes through what we call scouring and rinsing to polish the soul. And here the Alter Rebbe says the word kapara means atonement. It's a term of cleaning and removing the impurities of the sin. As it says, I shall remember with a rod their sins and with afflictions their misdeeds. This is all part of the Gemara. The Gemara brings a proof from the Pasuk, God says, I will remember them with the rod, implying that God is going to bring punishment and suffering to that person. Why? It's out of love. It's to scour the soul. 
In other words, you have to be worthy to receive this, right? We tell, a, we tell a, a, a bee, I don't want your sting, I don't want your honey. Don't do me any favors. <laughs> so God says, if you deserve it, I will give you scouring. If you deserve it, I will give you suffering. But if you didn't do any tshuva on Yom Kippur, and you didn't regret, forget about it. Enjoy your life. Yeah. I'm not giving you any punishment. Only if I like you, I'm going to punish you. Oh, if I don't like you, I'm not punishing you. No good. So these are the three steps of tshuva. And again, this is the lower hay, the lower level of tshuva, and we're soon going to get into secrets and, and mystical insights of how to go around this. Now, the Al-Drebbe continues after he brings down the Beraisa from the Gemara in the Tractate of Yuma. He goes on to explain here on the next page, on page 346, what is the definition of tshuva? If I want to do tshuva, what should I do? What is tshuva? How do I do it? Do I stand on my head, spit wood, nickels? Do I run around the block? Do, do, do I pull my clothing off and jump into snow and roll? How do I do tshuva? How do I show my sincerity? I really am sorry for what I did. Tal Tarebbe makes it very simple. It's amazing. He goes on to say, What is tshuva minatayra? is simply the abandonment of sin. God, I abandon my ways. It was bad, I'm wrong, I won't do it again. I don't even have to say it to anybody, I don't have to say it to myself. I think it in my heart, and that is true. He makes it very simple. No fasting, no articulating my sin. I don't have to say, I hate in shul. No. According to the Torah, the mitzvah of tshuva is two words, azivas hachet. To simply abandon sin. That's it. That's tshuva. Very simple, very easy, very practical. How do we know this? And he brings a proof. When he brings a proof from chapter 3 of the Tractate of Sanhedrin, and from Chosha Mishpat, which is the fourth category or book of the Code of Jewish Law, the end of chapter 34, pertaining to a kosher witness. According to Jewish law, a witness has to be kosher. There are many laws to witnesses. Number one is they can't be related to each other. They can't be related to either the defendant <laughs> or the prosecutor <coughs> or the judge right. or to each other. Or to the, in the consumer, to <laughs> parties who are getting married. Right. And therefore, in a, in a ketubah, the witnesses cannot be related to the chasun or the kalu, the bride or the groom, and they can't be related to each other. And they have to be kosher, a Jewish. And number two is, if they violated Torah law, they're not kosher for witnesses. So, let's say a person is a sinner. He violated Torah law. has become a kosher witness. So he has to abandon his ways. That's all he has to do. 
doesn't have to say anything, doesn't have to do anything, just has to ban- abandon his ways. So from here we see that the idea of tshuva is simply in the heart. Azivas achet bilvot. And that's why by many times by, by, uh, by a ksuba, by a get, the, the, the judges will tell the witnesses, right now, meditate for a moment on tshuva. Before you sign anything, meditate on tshuva. If he ever did something wrong, if he did something wrong, abandon it right now. And now you become a kosher witness. So therefore he goes on to say, to, to, to expand on this, what does it mean to abandon sin? He makes a concrete determination in his heart with a complete heart that he's never again going to do this folly and this craziness to rebel against the kingdom of God. He will no longer violate the commandments of God. God should be the How? Hey, Mr. Lezer said this is true for the positive commandments or the negative commandments. The Zeu Ikor Peter's Lush and Chuva says that this is the main aspect of the terminology of Chuva. What does Chuva mean? Lushuv El Hashem to return to Almighty God, Bukhol Liba with your entire heart, Bukhol Nafshe with your entire soul, La Avdoi to serve him, the Lishmer Kolmitzvaisav, and to watch. And guard all the mitzvahs. Because it says, Yazov, Rosho, Darkoiv, Ish, Oven, Machshavayisov. And it says in the Torah, Let the wicked abandon his way and the sinful his thoughts and return to Almighty God. Okay, so this is basically. The, uh, the first part of the, of the class, the, the definition of tshuva, and the three different ways of atonement.